Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to this programme. It's called Jazz Shapers. I'm sure you knew that. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. And I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining. My guest today is Tamara Littleton, founder and CEO of The Social Element. What a great name. A social media agency advising some of the world's biggest brands on how to use social media to solve business challenges. Having left her role running a BBC web team, Tamara established e-moderation back in 2002 before the explosion of the thing we now know as social media. The company aimed to help brands protect themselves and their users online, and she started the business with £10,000 from her parents and ran it from a garage using a remote workforce. The working model she feels is of the future, having seen the impact of flexible working on gender parity. We'll be talking lots about that. E-moderation rebranded as the social element in 2017, following social media and team growth, and they are now 300 people strong. And this person in front of me has to be responsible for all of them. Tamara also co-founded Polpio, a crisis simulation platform for brands and their agencies, so they could prepare for how a crisis would affect them online. We'll be talking to Tamara in a few minutes about all of this, being a champion of the diversity, LGBTQ and female entrepreneurial agenda and her passion for child safety online. Not much, eh? Uh, we should also mention the fact her father thinks she invented social media and she hasn't told him that's not the case. Quite right, too. We've got brilliant music as well um, from, amongst others, Sarah Vaughan, The RH Factor and Abdullah Ibrahim. That's today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Sergio Mendes with Berimbao Consolação. was uplifting too. Sergio Mendes and Berimbao Consolação. I always try my Portuguese accent. I don't actually speak Portuguese. It's more Spanish, but anyway. I'm sure those of you in the know would know that, and those of you that don't will now have blown the myth. Hello, Tamara. Tamara Little is my business shaper today. She's CEO and founder of what was e-moderation, what is now called, it sounds like the fifth element, but it's not. It's the social element. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Elliot. It's lovely to be here as well. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur forever. You're a creator. At what point in your life did you go, I'm going to do my own thing? Was it a, an epiphany when you were very young? We'll come on to what you ended up doing, but that feeling of having your own space, doing your own thing. Do you know what? I think it's one of those things that being young, I've kind of always been curious and wanting to fix things. I started working in digital in the mid-90s, working on uh, at a publishing company, and working with a very small startup at the time called Adobe. Mm. And we were doing these things around downloading documents for uh, online journals. So I was in digital at the BBC working in the late 90s. And there was so much happening. It was such an exciting sort of pioneering time. And we were looking after like the webmasters, everything online. And I had this little epiphany of uh, online forums and communities were getting bigger and bigger, a little bit more mainstream. And I just thought, you know what? Brands are going to be wanting to be online uh, and in communities. Mm. And I just felt that someone should be able to manage these brands 
and these communities to BBC standards. So that was pretty much the starting point, but I didn't do it straight away. I kind of got a little bit nervous and it took me a couple of years and then I went for it. And before the Beeb, you did a psychology degree. Yes. Uh, before the Beeb, what were you thinking life would hold for you? Or were you more kind of going, that looks interesting, I'll give it a go, that looks interesting? Or did you have a plan? Oh, I'm one of these people who kind of classically just fell into different things. Mm. So I was at Manchester. I thoroughly enjoyed doing psychology. I also thoroughly enjoyed uh, playing hockey and having fun. And so I came out not with the best degree, to be honest. But I've got to add here before you say, but forget the degree. We don't yeah. care because here you are, you're super successful. Uh, the person in front of me over here is actually an English universities, a Manchester County goalkeeper. I got my colours as well. That's I'm very proper. proud of that. That's proper. That means you. But that discipline of sport, joking yeah. aside, and that teamwork, these are all really important things. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's some. Something about being a goalkeeper, I think it makes you a good leader because you're kind of leading from the back. And you, can you can see everything. You can see everything and you're trying to sort of guide your, your team. So it, it's had a real influence on how I run my company, how I think about things. Do you wear pads every day and you've got a <laughs> stick in your hand. Yeah, come on! <laughs> but, but in terms of the um, falling into stuff, so, so psychology degree... So psychology wasn't yeah. the best and I finished at a time where people were coming out with first. It was very competitive. And my sort of thoughts of being a criminal psychologist just sort of went to the wayside. I moved from Manchester to London, started playing hockey because that's, you know, what I knew. And actually, my captain uh, said that I could go and work at her place as a secretary. And the most important thing I'd done was teach myself to touch type. That's kind of sad to say, but it was just the best thing because it meant that actually I then uh, transformed. I was working for this great place. It was called the Institute of Measurement and Control. It was an engineering institute, just to make that clear. And, uh, <laughs> Here's a place where you can really get to know how to run your family, the Institute of Measurement and Control. And I was uh, a secretary. I was being paid something like 9000 a year, but I taught myself desktop publishing. I transformed the, the team, and that's how I fell into digital. That's how I then went into the BBC and and then on to cello, and then started my own company. So I think it was maybe perhaps my geeky background. I think I've always been a bit of a geek, and I was into sort of like gaming when I was young, and I used to code when I was little as well. Stay with me to find out of how course. the coding, gamer, hockey-playing, captain of industry in front of me, Tamara Littleton, has then gone on to do great things. Time for some music right now. This is Sarah Vaughan with One Mint Julep. That's with a J. <laughs> That was Sarah Vaughan with One Mint Julep. I'm here with Tamara Littleton and we're talking about how she became the thing that she is now, which is an entrepreneur. But I just want to, I asked you about what a julep is. What is a julep? You well, think, we it's, think? It's a drink. I've had one in Atlanta mm. and it was... Not good. I, I didn't like it. It was because it was in streetcar named Design. I thought I must try one, mm. but I didn't like you it. You didn't like no. it. So this geeky thing, I just want to pick up in the mm. mid-90s because, you know, we, we're a very similar age and I saw this happening and didn't get involved looking back you went to it you said you were coding when you were a kid and you were gaming how did you realize you quite enjoyed it because that's a very specific thing to do when you're small i mean i tried to code i remember basic and fourth and all these other languages but 
it didn't really turn me on doing go sub and putting, you know, making arrows, you know, lines draw up across the screen. You obviously got yeah, into it. I don't know what it was. Um, what I do remember is I had a ZX81. Ah, so did I. Okay. And I also... Beautiful things. Google ZX81. Now look at that picture. So before the ZX Spectrum, so yes. this is the ZX81, I even sent off uh, for like a little rubberized keyboard as well. <laughs> I was that into it. And so obviously you could play games on it, but you could go down to WH Smith's and you could buy magazines and it would tell you how to code games and get snowflakes to go down the, the screen. I just absolutely loved it. It was my mother, actually. I think she's the entrepreneur of the family. She was a French tutor. She's retired now. And every time new technology came out, she was the one buying the sort of Betamax before mm. VHS came out. She had an, uh, an early computer. So I think I just maybe got that from her. But the coding thing, the gaming, coding, and then when I was at school, I was lucky enough to, to go to a convent and if you didn't do Latin or languages, you did typing. I was doing Latin and languages, and so I didn't get to do the typing. And then when computers came into schools, they had, like, computers brought in, not everyone was allowed to use them. So I actually used to, I'm afraid to say, I stole a key, and I used to go into the computer room and code during break times or late at night, mm. and I just sort of used to teach myself how to code. That focus at a young age, right, and the ability to just get into something and to see what's possible, it feels like that's one of your super skills. Just looking at what you've done, you've picked things off in your life, whether it's internet safety for kids, yeah, yeah, or whether it's simulating crises, which is quite a clever thing to do and helping people understand that, or now going, or you saying, well, communities are going to be important, even though it was a pretty nascent stage for the web. And I, re I remember the first website I ever helped a client make when I was in advertising was for Mercedes-Benz. We had to, yeah. they said, but will, will people really buy cars on the internet? I said, well, maybe. <laughs> this was like 1994, but you've gone on there. Yeah, yeah. Are you still like that? Are you still actually at heart? Introvert's the wrong word, but the, the ability to shut the world out and to focus on the problem, is that what you think gets you through a lot of stuff? So I believe that I'm an ambivert. So there are definitely days where I am very introverted, uh, need to get my energy from being by myself and very focused on things. And I read so many business books. I'm one of these people that when I go on holiday, I take a stack of business books with me. I just need that time mm. to stay focused. But there are also other times, which is quite lucky, that when I'm trying to sort of uh, push the profile of my business or uh, try and win business and you do networking, you have to do public speaking, you have to be out and out and meeting people. So luckily for me, that kind of more extroverted side kicks in. Mm. Uh, yeah. And when you when you set the business up, um, and it was called E-Moderation, e yeah. yeah, what was that feeling like when you sort of opened the doors, those first few, you actually did it because you said you held back for a while. So yeah. what... Firstly, what pushed you over the edge to actually do it? And secondly, how did it feel once you'd done it? So I registered the domain name in 2000. And then it took until 2002 before I actually set it up. And I'd left the BBC. Um, and then I went to another company called Cello, which was a Dutch company. And they were. it was at a time where online portals were still a thing. You'd sort of get your broadband and then you'd go to a portal. And I was working on the content there. And they were, they were a great company some fantastic people there, and then they were offering voluntary redundancies. That was my moment where I just thought, you know what, they were offering three months, so I took that opportunity, and that was my kind of... It, it had just been eating away at me. It wasn't to do with, I need to start a company because I want it to be huge or anything. It just felt that there was a, a problem that needed solving, and I had this feeling that I was the one that could solve it. I couldn't not set it up.
More from my guest Tamara Littleton in a couple of minutes, but first let's hear a taster from the latest News Sessions podcast, which can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishkondorea's Hayley Geffen explores the world of social media regulation and how to protect ourselves online. The News Sessions, hosted by Hayley Geffen, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hello, I'm Hayley Geffen, and you're listening to the News Sessions from Mishkondorea, where we take a look at a key area of law hitting the headlines. Today, we're looking at the regulation of social media and what we can all do to protect ourselves online. Here's Emma Woolcott, head of Mishkondorea's Reputation Protection Department, with some advice for brands and business owners. Social media's not going anywhere. It's increasingly where people are receiving their news. There are shifts over time in terms of what's in favour. But this is now how the next generations are interacting, are receiving news, are learning about products, are buying products. And so brands do need to be understanding how to present the best version of themselves on social media, understanding how to react when things go badly and how to close down conversations that are harmful and to take some conversations offline, how to deal with IP abuses and copycat stories, fake news. The main advice to brands and to business owners is to try and crisis plan, think through things, be ahead and practice. (laughs) In the bad old days, the good old days, when there was a, a story or an issue affecting a business, there would be one story. And now the way that businesses deal with crisis situations becomes story two, three, four. News Sessions, in partnership with Mishkondorea. Find more of the News Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Tamara again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you put Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform. That's seriously my three most favourite, the most favourite words I have always say. Your preferred podcast platform, there's iTunes and all the other ones you use. You can enjoy every single one of the almost 350 in there. But back to today and it's Tamara. She's founder and CEO of The Social Element, an agency helping clients to powerfully connect with their audience through social media. So that idea back then of communities, brands and all that is still where you're at. I mean, you've been moving, obviously you've developed, I imagine, more... Uh, sophisticated techniques, there's more data I know in your business now that you use, there's more metrics, there's more strategic management and all those things are developed. But in essence, that's the primary focus, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely evolved over time as things have changed. So at the beginning, I was having to educate uh, brands and my potential clients on, well, actually there was no social media, but that didn't really exist as a concept. It was more forums, communities, Um, A lot of safety around virtual worlds as well. There was a lot of dodgy stuff going on. Um, So my earlier clients were more interested in the child safety aspect. So that's always been our foundation and it's still a big part of who we are. And indeed, you were part of the original Internet Task Force for Child Protection on the Internet, which led to the guidance back in 2005. Absolutely. And that sense of purpose, you know, everyone has back, they've decided to back the idea of having a purpose in life, which is hardly a new idea, but everyone now makes money off the back of saying your business must have a purpose. The person in front of me tomorrow has a purpose, and that purpose was really clear. You want to protect kids online. That's one of them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's what's happened from there is that it has evolved into a higher purpose, I suppose, something that incorporates that. Um, It takes a lot of time to create that very sort of simple approach to the business. But now I would say that the purpose for the social element is helping 
brands have a genuine human connection with their consumers. And that genuine human connection, there's a lot about, um, you know, technology. I'm, as you can see, I'm, I'm so passionate about technology, but there's something about having that authentic voice, that connection, being more human. And it feels that that is a very important thing to have right now. So we help brands communicate with that more mm. human way. I mentioned um, when I introduced you at the beginning that you've always had a view that a flexible workforce is a, a better thing, uh, empowers women in a way that a, a more inflexible setup can't, and you've always been openly LGBT, openly yep. lesbian. Tell me how that has affected and informed the way you go about your life and business. So I think culture is something that I'm massively passionate about. I think if you have a, a happy workforce, then you have happy clients. You know, it doesn't make sense to me to not run a company in, in the best way that I can. And I suppose I've created a company that I want to work at. So culture is incredibly important. I think what was interesting is perhaps the sense of accidental diversity, that because I started the agency virtually right from the beginning, and I'll be absolutely honest, I didn't have much money. I'd, I'd sort of blown through that uh, 10 grand and that redundancy money pretty damn quickly and also had to go back and get some more work to, to sort of, you know, that's, that's the way it works. So I couldn't afford an office, but also I was so familiar with working online using internet relay chat that you could just correspond using email. So I set up the company virtually right from the beginning and that has had a really big impact on the way things work. So now it's up to 300 people. We have about 20 people come into the London office, but that sense, it's a, it's a hub, but it's not the be-all and end-all of the company. The company is, I was described, it's more like being in the matrix. Mm. You know, it's up in the cloud. And everyone feels that sense of connection, even though they're working from home. But the diversity that's come as a result of doing that has been really interesting. So I work uh, with clients all of, over the world. You know, we work with huge brands and we manage their social media across Europe, Asia, North America. So I have people all over the world working from home speaking back using their own language and their own culture. So we have sort of good racial diversity within the agency and the male to female ratio very skewed towards females. In fact, we've had to sort of try and change that. <laughs> Men are underrepresented <laughs> yes. in your business. Wow. So we've been really kind of making, because <laughs> yeah. I believe so passionately that you need diversity uh, in the agency to represent our brands and to represent the people that we're talking to. And, and the world. And the world, and it yeah. just makes for a better team. Um, and your own sexuality within this, because yeah. it's kind of, a, why, why is that important? Why, why is, I mean, coming out 30 years ago, not easy, not cool at all. Now, it's like it's almost, you're not cool if you're not, you know, interesting yeah. and you're on somewhere. <laughs> so somewhere, cool. it's, You're so damn cool, you're so on trend tomorrow. But, but seriously, you know, when we were growing up, if you said you were gay, that was yeah. a stigma. Now I'm sure, I'm, we're, we're both older, we don't know what it's like for an 11-year-old kid if they come out and say they're gay. But I'm, to your own parents, if my kid said it to me, I wouldn't give two hoots. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't know that that would have been the case 30 years ago. But why is that, imp where does it, what role does it play now for you? It's interesting, actually, because I think, because I've always worked in the media, it was incredibly easy for me and I was in a, privileged position that I didn't have to hide my sexuality because it was just very sort of liberal uh, work environment and so it was it was easy so I didn't hide it and when I started my own company it didn't occur to me I was just like you know this is my agency this is who I am and I found that it it does lead to great relationships with clients uh, that I'm just um, myself 
And I think within the agency, creating a, an environment where I want people to bring their best self to work is really important. And I've spoken at lots of different conferences and spoken to different people who have said that they've gone back in the closet, maybe they were out at university or at further education, and then they go into a big corporate and they go back in the closet. And all of that wasted energy mm. of people trying to sort of like watch what they say, are they using the right pronoun, do they go quiet when people say, what do you do at the weekend? It's such a waste when they could just be themselves and just focusing on on business. And I, But I think we're not in a time now where everything is wonderful and lovely. There's still yeah. a lot of work to be done. And, if, and sadly, it sometimes feels like we're going backwards. So even though it wasn't a big deal for me and I was just like, yeah, I'm just out and I've created an agency and hopefully it's a nice culture for everybody, more and more recently over the last five years, I felt that it was almost my duty to speak at more conferences, LGBTQ plus conferences, and to represent. And part of that is that I just don't see that many out lesbian entrepreneurs. There must be mm. some but sort of like I, gay, gay male footballers. You don't know how many there are, but of course they've got to be more than you. Of course there must be, yeah. Same so, thing. So if I can't see one, be one, and, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, the role model, but if I could at least make a difference and make it easier and move the needle a tiny bit, then I feel like that's something I want to do. 300 people plus. It's a big business. As you said, you've got people around the world that work for you. The money bit of it and running the commercial side, have you just grown into it and worked out how it all works and is it actually quite straightforward for you uh, as in sort of like getting new revenue yeah, selling new revenue working new, out to make clients. a margin keeping yeah, the yeah. margin nice and tight do you feel comfortable with numbers does the psychology uh graduate has she had to learn stuff in the same way you had to teach yourself typing i have had to learn an awful lot and i think when you start a, a business you know what you're good at and i was actually good at the operational side and the people side bringing in talent and having the vision to, to do it. And I, when I started, I always had a vision of it being a global agency. It was just what I wanted to do. And I, I created a company based on an organisational structure and I you know, created the services. The money side never particularly interested me. I know that's terrible to say, but I'm just not that great. Mm. So I got help right from the beginning. And over the 17 years, I've just had to get obviously more interested and better but I also rely on my fantastic team so I stay good again going back to the hockey and team sports why play out of position mm. if you're really really good at goal why would someone stick me up at front I'm good at creating relationships building the business having the vision and being what we call internally the show pony so they kind of push me out <laughs> hashtag show pony to go out and speak to people and that's what I love going through all of the accounts in detail yeah. it's not something I'm good at when are you at your happiest when are you buzzing is it when you've just won a bit of new business is it when you've just presented a genuinely breakthrough idea to a client and they've gone yeah let's do it I absolutely love when you create that great chemistry with a client and you know that there is a connection and that they're seeing you as a partner that's the bit that's that feels so great but I also get a massive kick out of public speaking which I'm surprised at because I've had to work at that I had to sort of push myself to do more speaking but now coming off a stage and knowing that I've absolutely smashed it 
and then you get to speak to people afterwards. You just want to go back on, don't you? Yeah, it's the best. It thing. is addictive, isn't it? it right? Really if you've is. actually prepared and you've presented well, and people, you see people's eyes. I yeah. imagine that's what you do. And as you said, the fact that you're out, the fact that you are a role model as much as anyone can be one, and we're all just human. It, that must be also wonderful when you know that someone's gone, I think I can be that. Yeah, definitely. And I like, I think fundamentally, I really like helping people. So I love spending time with um, perhaps entrepreneurs or particularly women who are starting businesses or who have just started businesses. It's very hard to scale a business. And there are lots of sort of things that get in the way. So if I can actually help by speaking or just afterwards, just give advice or sort of, storytell I just love doing that I love it's sometimes I just persuade people to start businesses it's like a bad habit of mine I'll be chatting so I'm like oh, come on come on leave your job start a business I just love I'm so passionate about people uh, being entrepreneurs that well, comes across stay with me for my final chat with Tamara Littleton plus we'll be playing a track from Abdullah Ibrahim that's in just a moment please stay right where you are Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea it's business but it's personal Abdullah Ibrahim with Soweto. I'm with Tamara Littleton, just for a little bit longer. We've been talking about her main business. It was e-moderation. Now it's called The Social Element. Uh, I've been talking all, about all sorts of things, about purpose before people called it purpose, about you being a role model. You pick things, which I like, and you, you it's been the core of your idea, brand, social media, even before social media was social media, and children's safety online. You're kind of going, that's going to become a problem, and I've got you know teenage kids down to six, and there's trust involved, but there's also a lot of fear and there's ongoing education that's critical. You've also identified through Polpio that businesses aren't necessarily very good at dealing with crises, don't really know what to do, because in this day and age, in the context of social media, your reputation can go up in flames in seconds or minutes. Tell me a little bit about Polpio. Was it one of those, hold on a minute, I've seen a lot of clients floundering around at key points? Was that the... It was pretty much exactly that, actually. Mm. I co-founded Polpio six years ago with an amazing woman called Kate Hartley. Now, she comes from a background of PR, crisis management. She's been working in that industry for, for many, many years. And then she runs her own PR agency, and I've been a client of hers for many years as well. We shared an office. And we were always talking about, you know, I was coming from the social media side. She was from PR. And we noticed at the time that brands were just really messing up. They were getting attacked on social media and they would say the wrong things or they were too slow or they just just couldn't get the tone of voice right. And there was this huge backlash. It was almost like as social media became more and more mainstream, uh, brands were not keeping up with how to manage and there was no longer that sense that you could just get a press release out in 24 hours. You had to respond there and then and really quickly. So we were talking about there was another brand that just sort of messed up and we said, God, I bet it's because they can't practice and then that was like a little trigger and we were sort of saying well why can't we build something and, and I think perhaps again my slightly geeky background I love films like war games and uh, you know that whole sort of simulating and almost choose your own adventure books that kind of background so we put our heads together 
we created uh, Polpio, and it's now it's a it's a growing company. It's absolutely amazing. We're working with lots of brands, and of course, I can't tell you any of them uh, because of what we do. But we simulate brands being attacked on social media, and then they rehearse their response, and they have to get press releases out. They have to respond on social. And everything they're doing, we actually have a live team of role players as well. So they act as the public, as journalists. So it's incredibly immersive. It's really emotional. And what we're really doing, though, is we're teaching brands how to have empathy. And, th and that's what it's, it's become now. Looking forward, because we're going to run out of time, at the shape of your business in Polpio and in the social element, what's it going to look like? Is it going to be very different? Are you super open to new structures and new ways of working? I think um, the the model that we discussed, that kind of everyone working from home and then a hub in London, that's changing over time uh, because we're becoming much more strategic with our clients and investing a lot in creative as well. And it's almost becoming going backwards that, not, not backwards, but it's just getting that right balance that I do want to have lots of face time with my team and with clients. So we've changed the model slightly to have hubs and a lot more investment in face-to-face uh, -face time and replicating what we do in London over in the US, about half my business in the US. So that's a big growth area for us. So I would say it's kind of more focus on how we're doing things, but it's just going to get bigger. I suppose that's that's the whole thing. And just really quick, it intrigues me it, about trends and stuff and people spotting things. How do you do it? Is it purely you just listen a lot to clients, you listen a lot to your team, you're just out in the world, you're reading all that stuff? Or, or, or is it something else where do you find these little hold on a minute i think that's happening over there you know it's what we always call in a slightly poncy way the zeitgeist yeah but how do you find your take on the zeitgeist it's that beautiful marriage of technology and people so it's the humans we have amazing people who can interpret the data but ultimately we're using loads of different tools to either do social listening so we're spotting what are people saying about um our clients and the brands we're creating content and we're engaging on behalf of the brands, everything comes back to their human connection, but we use the most awesome technology and we have partners with lots of different uh, companies. So it's it's everything that I love. It's humans and and technology fused together beautifully. Hashtag show pony. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for spending some time with me here. It's such a cool name though, isn't it? I just want to, we should get it trending on Twitter. That'll never happen. Um, not if I do it. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, I've chosen Camille Yarbrough, Take Your Praise. Take Your Praise. And you wouldn't be surprised, but there is a bit of a geeky reason for this as mm. well. I love Fatboy Slim, and this was used uh, as a sort of sample in his uh, Praise You. But the reason I found out about this original song, which this is... This is We've Come a Long, Long Way, that one. Yes, <gasps> yeah. And this is the original, I have And this fabulous. is the original, yes. and but I discovered this using Napster. So back late 90s... Um, which was sort of a precursor to Spotify. And and just for me, it's going back to the passion of why the internet is so amazing. The internet can be very, very scary and horrible, but let's focus on some of those positive things again because the ability to just search the internet, find incredible songs and get passionate about them. So this for me is kind of, again, linking this great song and a bit of geekiness as well. That might be one of the best links ever to everything. There you go. Here it is just for you. We've come a long, long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you, baby 
I have to praise you like I should You're so rare, so fine I'm so glad you're mine That was the brilliant Camille Yarbrough, Take Yo Praise, the song choice of my business shaper today, Tamara Littleton. She talked about her love of fixing things, of her geekiness, her inherent geekiness, and of being an ambivert, sometimes introvert, sometimes extrovert. She talked about the importance of diversity in her business, and she talked about creating a company in which I would want to work at, so that people can bring their full selves to work, and indeed their best selves. Hashtag showpony, that was my guest. I thought she was fab. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.